This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 25. We are at an exciting point in the history of our church. By God's grace, the Trails Church has had an incredibly vibrant first four years of existence. We've seen God go before us, sustain us, and even continue to grow our congregation. Did you guys hear it was spring break? And here we are. It's wonderful to be gathered together in Jesus' name. We've had the privilege of baptizing and discipling men and women and children as our church has grown both in depth and in breadth. A couple of years ago, the Lord led us to build a building and our people joyfully responded by committing almost $4 million in pledges to an initiative entitled For the Mission. Our desire was to raise enough money to build a permanent place to gather, to worship, and to meet with the Lord, as we love to do week by week, as well as have a base camp for gospel ministry in our community, Lord willing, for years to come. Many of us have given sacrificially and joyfully to For the Mission, and I'd like to show you a few pictures as a way of an update. Does that sound good? How many of you have not driven by the property in the last week? Okay, well, you'll see some new things. I mean, we haven't gone vertical yet, so lower those expectations. Uh, But there is progress. And so uh, let me show you a few spaces first. Here is a picture from what will soon be our church office, uh, which will also double as a a Sunday school meeting space and and a a place for small group Bible studies to happen throughout the week. Uh, So that's very exciting. Um, also, uh, the existing building, where, which used to be Grace Baptist Church, and part of their prayer was that the Lord would fill that place with children. And now we're going to be able to fill what right now is an empty building uh, with about 200 children per service. And we are super excited about that. Um, this next picture, you'll notice a, a red barrier. This is new. It keeps us from going on the property, so if you've missed your window to sneak around, you've missed that window. This um, screen says that this is being built by, is that what it says, built by Rogers O'Brien? And they are lovely, but I assure you this place is being built by the Lord and through uh, the generous gifts of, of His people. So, uh, and then finally, if you've not seen what we're building, here's just a snapshot of what it is we're uh, prayerfully going to see uh, fill this property in the next uh, 9 to 48 months. I don't know. (laughs) By the time we finish Exodus. No, definitely not. Uh, Definitely not by then. So we'll do more updates in the future, but for now, let me just ask you to pray. Pray that God would continue to go before us. Pray Pray that... This building that uh, is in preparation now would be a place where many would come to see and fear and put their trust in our Lord. 
Um, this introduction to the sermon serves as more than just a building update. It is closely linked to the theme of our passage today where God calls his people to build a building and they respond by joyfully bringing all that is needed for construction. In God's providence, we are beginning our study of the tabernacle at the very time we are constructing our own sanctuary. After redeeming the Israelites from slavery and covenanting with them at Mount Sinai, the Lord instructs them to build a place for His people to gather, to worship, and to meet with the Lord. The final third of the book of Exodus focuses almost exclusively on the construction and completion of a portable sanctuary known as the tabernacle. The significance of this tabernacle is seen by the attention given to the detailed directions that God gives for this tent and all of its furnishings. We find those in chapters 25 through 31, where we are right now. Then there's a little break by an incident known as the golden calf incident that we see in chapters 32 through 34. And then what we find in chapters 35 through the end of the book is a reiteration of all that God instructs them to do in chapters 25 through 31. Basically, it shows us how Moses and the people completed the construction of the tabernacle and concludes in chapter 39, 43, they did all that the Lord had commanded. So we see all the blueprints laid out, all the things happening, uh, the golden calf incident, and then we see how everything that God had showed them to do they, in fact, did. Now, this intentional repetition underlines the importance of the tabernacle and the Israelites' obedience to every word of God in fulfilling His commands. We are at an exciting point in the book of Exodus. I've been looking forward to this section of Scripture and preparing for months um, in order for us to rightly explore the significance of this sacred space and the, and the central place that it held in the life of Israel. Yet, as we enter this corner of an Old Testament book that is rarely preached on and often even glanced over in Bible reading plans, you might ask, what do ancient blueprints and antique furniture have to do with us following Christ today? The answer is, and I hope to show you, quite a lot. Quite a lot. These things of old point to remarkable realities that you and I now know in Christ. Realities that I hope become more meaningful to us as we study these chapters. And so let me frame our entire study of the tabernacle by asking you this question. What does the fact that God has come to dwell with you mean to you? What does the fact that God has come to dwell with you mean to you? Exodus 25, 1-9 contains instructions from God for the Israelites to build a sanctuary set aside for worship. These verses detail a list of costly gifts 
God's people are to bring from everyone whose heart stirs with thankfulness and generosity toward the Lord, still something even greater than joyful giving is also recorded. God announces that if they build a sanctuary for God and man, He will come and dwell in their midst. We will see that this sacred space would be, first, a sanctuary for man to build, and second, a sanctuary for God to dwell. Let me encourage you to stand to your feet, if you're able, as we read aloud from God's holy and inerrant word. Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 to 9. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they may take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. First, let us look at this sanctuary for man to build, verses 1 to 7. Verse 1 frames the scene and reminds us that the Lord is speaking to Moses atop Mount Sinai within the cloud of his presence while the people of Israel wait eagerly below to hear what God will say to them. The first thing that God has to say here is that they are to take up a contribution. They are to take an offering. And of course, this makes perfect sense. Don't you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the liturgy of Sinai, how it began with a call to worship, just like our liturgy begins. God calls his people to worship. It ended with a feast celebrating the covenant that God had made for them. But did you notice one missing element of this service? They forgot to take up the offering. Well, here is where the offering is taken up. Now, let me just tell you why we don't take up an offering in our service. This is just a quick aside. For the first probably 18 months of our church, we did take up an offering in the service. We passed plates, old school style. As the months went on, uh, fewer and fewer checks were in those plates. Uh, So we were just passing empty plates around in this kind of religious way. And I was, I was just concerned people would think, does anyone give here? The answer is yes. Most people give. Uh, as members, we actually commit to giving, yet almost everybody, me included, gave online. And so the time came to retire our offering plates. I brought them up here, and we put them aside and introduced to the church our offering box. And so it still sits in the back of the room today. So as you're coming into worship or leaving You feel free if you want to drop a check or even cash in there. You're welcome to do that. Uh, Most of us now give online, which you can do through our church website. Uh, But that's why we don't pass the plate. But here, they're not passing the plate anyway. 
That's not what we see. What they're doing instead in this first collective offering being taken up by the Israelites is they're looking through their possessions and even things they would have to go and purchase and acquire and bringing it to the Lord. They're bringing it specifically to Moses uh, as an act of worship to the Lord. They gave from what God had given them in order to build a sanctuary for God. Now, as I thought about these verses, it became clear to me that prepositions are the best way to help tell the story of what happens in verses 1 to 7. So let's pay special attention to these prepositions. First, notice the tabernacle was built by God's people. The tabernacle was built by God's people. Verse 3 through 7 contain a list of specific materials that would be needed for this building project. There are seven categories outlined. Metals, textiles, leather skins. Uh, right, just pause right there. Um, dolphin skins is actually what some scholars would, would uh, attribute to this. Whether it's dolphin skins or uh, your, your Bible might say manatee skins. Or, we don't know some of these skins. Uh, it's, it's kind of unclear. The, I guess the text for Hebrew dolphin skin wasn't really popular at the time. But uh, whatever's happening, we will dig into some of those details, Lord willing, in a few weeks. But just to give you an overview, uh, wood, oil, spices, precious stones. Each of these materials used in construction that we will look at used in the tabernacle and on the garments of the priest, they had to be pure and of the highest quality because they were meant to reflect the purity and order and beauty and holiness of God. They were meant to point people to the glory and splendor of the Lord. Now the purpose of reporting on these materials is not just to satisfy our curiosity of, of uh, how the tabernacle was to be built or the special things that would go inside of it. Rather, it was given to reveal something to us about the character and the nature of the holy God who would come and inhabit this sanctuary. The same God who ordained the ten plagues and commanded the wind and waves of the Red Sea, the God who hardened the heart of Pharaoh and led his people with a pillar of fire, could have lowered a pre-made tabernacle fit for his use for where his people could meet with him. Yet, in the wisdom of God, he chose to include his people through both the contribution and construction of the tabernacle. So note for now that this tabernacle was built by God's people. The tabernacle was built from God's provision. As you read the list of these precious metals and rare jewels and fine linen, perhaps you wondered, where in the world were this group of newly freed slaves supposed to find all of these resources? They're in the middle of a desert. They're at the foot of a mountain. We already know the neighbors they could trade with don't think very highly of them. So where did they find all of these resources, you might ask? And I am so glad you asked. God had already supplied everything they needed. Not just in the moment, but long ago. 
Hundreds of years earlier, God told Abraham that one day his children's children's children would be sojourners in a foreign and strange land, that they would be oppressed for 400 years. Genesis 15 verse 14 promised, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. That's Genesis. Now, months earlier from where we find ourselves in this passage, God told Moses at the burning bush that he would deliver his people through powerful signs. In Exodus 3.22, God instructs the people to just go to the Egyptian neighbors they had and ask for gold, silver, everything valuable, just to ask it and smile. And for some reason... God being the reason, they would just joyfully hand over all of their most valuable possessions. Well, um, and, and then this is how it records. It says, this is how they would plunder the Egyptians. Perhaps when you think about the children of Israel crossing the dry land of the Red Sea, and you think about the kids of the children of Israel, you don't think about them with a lot of drip. If you're over the age of 40, you can ask a younger person what drip is. But here, they are literally dripping with gold and silver and fine clothing. Exodus chapter 12, verses 35 through 36. It's okay to say drip in church. It's fine. I think some of you are still talking about that. We're moving on. Exodus 12, 35 and 36 tells us this is exactly what happened. So where did the provision come for? Where did it come from needed to build this tabernacle? It came from the Lord. It came from the Lord. The important principle to hold on to here is that God's people honored the Lord from, there's the preposition, what he had provided Third, the tabernacle was built with generous hearts. With generous hearts. Moses is careful to highlight each contribution was given from thankful, stirring hearts. Now, we're going to, I told you how in chapters 25 through 31, these things are instructed. And then in chapters uh, 35 through 40, they are done, they are built. Okay, I want you to turn to the right to Exodus chapter 35, where we find the mirrored passage of the one we're looking at this morning. And I want you to look at 35 verse 5. Because in chapter 25, it says that their hearts were stirred. Well, here a different adjective is used. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. There were no fear tactics used by Moses, no manipulative coercion, no high-pressure sales presentation about all the features of this building. No, the Spirit of God moved in the hearts of His people. They rejoiced In the redemption God had given them. They remembered the salvation God had given them. They 
treasured the word God had given them. They saw the generosity God had given them and their hearts overflowed with generosity in response to what God had done. And now I want you to look at chapter 36. Exodus 36, verses 5 to 7. And here we find one of the most amazing accounts of financial generosity toward the Lord. As they begin work on the tabernacle, they actually have to tell the people, stop bringing offerings because they have too much. The craftsmen, who we will meet, Lord willing, in a few weeks, who were in charge of making things for the tabernacle, they go to Moses and read with me beginning in verse 5. They say to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. For the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. I don't know one church, either in the record of the New Testament or throughout modern church history, not one time where the leadership has had to restrain the congregation and saying, please stop giving. It's too much. But this is the case here. To summarize the point, the tabernacle was built by God's people from God's provision and with generous hearts. As we turn to the New Testament, the scriptures speak about giving and stewardship over and over. We don't have time to build a robust biblical theology of giving today, but let me point to one principle that is vital for us to understand. The Apostle Paul repeats to the Corinthians what he also instructed to other churches. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, On the first day of every week, that's the Lord's day, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And here we witness early Christians bring in offering when they are gathered on the Lord's day and giving to the Lord through their local church. Uh, he writes in 2 Corinthians, uh, about halfway through the letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, he encourages them to excel in the act of giving. So even if we were not in the middle of building a place for us to meet in and gather each week, there is still a clear application for us as the people of God as we think about financial stewardship. There's a pattern from the beginning when it comes to how money works in the kingdom of God. This is a clunky sentence. I'll repeat it twice. God provides for his work by his people from the resources he has provided as they give with generous hearts as an act of worship. I told you it was clunky. Here it is again. God provides for his work by his people from the resources he's provided as they give 
with generous hearts as an act of worship. That's one reason why in our member covenant the things we commit to is to give to the work of the Lord through the local church. Our generosity, this is so important because TV preachers get this wrong all the time. They act like the more you give, the more you'll get. And that's absolutely false. If you're listening to a TV preacher that tells you that, you should change to anything but that. Our giving to the Lord does not earn his acceptance, nor his favor. Our giving to the Lord is a response to him because we've been given his acceptance. Our generosity flows from remembrance of all God has done for us in redeeming us. Our giving flows in response to him saving us, in giving us his word, in dwelling us by his spirit. Do you give to the Lord out of a generous heart? Because your heart stirs to. And if you don't give to the Lord regularly and you're a Christian, why is it that your heart doesn't stir within you to give generously in response to all that he has given? What a place in Exodus to be looking at, even right now. I pray that we would be a church like the people we find here in Exodus. So generous. Maybe we're the first church in history that has to tell you, hey, Trails Church, stop giving so much. Restrain yourselves. But I doubt that's too many of us, right? But even if, even if we all committed just to give 10% of our income to the Lord through His church, we would make a significant dent in the kingdom of God, not only in this community, but around the world. I'm praying we become more generous as a church. Not in trying to earn God's approval, not out of a means of legalistic, we've got to do this. Oh, but that our hearts might stir with love for God and there would be evidenced in the tangible giving, freely giving of what he has given to us. And then in the final two verses of our text, and for the next seven chapters that follow, we find instructions on a sanctuary for God to dwell. If you'll just give me a moment. As a boy, uh, one of my favorite movies was Field of Dreams. Uh, any Kevin Costner fans in the house? Yeah. Well, Field of Dreams is the story of Ray Kinsella, who lives with his family on a farm in Iowa, and they raise corn. And while walking through the cornfields one evening, he hears on the wind, If you build it, he will come. Anybody seen this? That's a creepy voice. If you hear that, <laughs> it's probably the radio. Change the station. If you build it, he will come. It happens throughout the movie. And then, but in the first time, he immediately sees this vision in the middle of the cornfield of a baseball field with shoeless Joe Jackson from the 1908 Chicago White Sox on the field. And he's convinced that if he builds that, shoeless Joe will show up. Uh, there's a deeper plot to the story involving his father. If you have some spare time this afternoon, you might watch it, even on the Lord's Day, as you rest and watch Field of Dreams. 
And so Ray Kinsella plows under part of their crops, which, which comes with great financial risk uh, to, to their family, all in order to build this thing so that he will come. Well, in a crass sense, the Lord is telling his people in regard to the construction of this tabernacle, if you build it, I will come. The promise of the Lord is that this tabernacle will be two things. I want to look at two angles of this tabernacle. First, it is a place to commune with God. We see this in verse 8. One single word would be insufficient to describe the significance of this structure. So three terms are used in verses 8 and 9 to describe it. The first is sanctuary. There in verse 8. The word is literally a place of holiness. It comes from the root meaning be holy, be separated. Everything about the tabernacle is holy. The first time we saw a place declared holy in the book of Exodus was back in chapter 3. As Moses stood in the burning presence of God there at the bush. And God said that the ground underneath Moses' feet was holy. It was holy ground, not because of what it was, but because of who was there. God was there. He was in the very presence of God. So by calling this place a set-apart place to the Lord, he separates the area of the tabernacle really from the rest of all of creation because of what would happen there. God's people would worship him in the splendor of his holiness and he would meet them there by his grace. So sanctuary. The second important term is dwell, which is used through many of the chapters we, will, we have been exploring and we will be exploring. Though the verb form of the word dwell is not the normal Hebrew word, which would mean to abide. Instead, it conveys the idea of temporary lodging. We, said, we saw uh, last week, it was like the Lord camping among his people. And that, this word, uh, a synonym for this is tabernacle. The word tabernacle comes from the Latin tabernaculum, meaning tent. And so we often use the word tabernacle and refer to it with the right honor and reverence it's due because of what happened there. But don't let it be missed on us that God is saying, build me a tent. Build me a tent. Why is that significant? Well, it's not only that God has come to dwell among his people, though that is incredibly remarkable. He also chose to live like his people. Israel lived in tents, and so God lived in a tent. He condescended to their level, making his dwelling place among his people. He came alongside of them with them every step of the way. And the second thing about this tabernacle is it is a sign of things that were and are to come. It's a sign of things that were and are to come. We see this in verse 9, and we will explore this idea more in the coming weeks. For now, I want to point your attention to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5 which says that the tabernacle serves as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. 
God tells Moses in verse 9 to make this structure exactly as I show you concerning its pattern. The construction of the sanctuary will actually replicate the heavenly temple on earth and allow a holy God to dwell safely in the midst of his people. There's a heavenly vision of this tabernacle, as what the writer of Hebrews tells us. It's a sign of things that were and are to come. The tabernacle will also be a restoration and extension of the Garden of Eden. We don't have time to unpack all of that, but uh, it is remarkable, the plan of God to dwell among his people, which we see in the Garden of Eden. We see signs of that, shadows and copies of that, here in the, the listing of the tabernacle. And of course, we must remember where these verses sit on the timeline of redemptive history and how ultimately God would come and dwell with us, tabernacle among us in Christ. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt and tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, the tabernacle that we will be studying faded with time and was eventually replaced. Yet when God condescended and sent his one and only Son, who took on flesh, he dwelt among us and tabernacled among us in a way that is unfading. And he is the same yesterday and today and forever. So what I'd like to do in these just couple of remaining minutes is to look you in the eye and remind you of the beautiful truths that flow from the reality that God has chosen to dwell among us. I don't think you're ready. You don't look that ready. Are you ready? Okay, three remarkable, glorious truths flowing from this idea. You're going to need to take notes and spend more time on these passages later in the day. First, God dwells in us as believers. Hallelujah. I'll say it again. This is really good news. God dwells in us as believers. 1 Corinthians 3.16 explains, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells, there's the word, in you? For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. What Paul's saying there is that you're now declared holy. So the holiness of the tabernacle we will be looking at was a sign of the holiness of us where God will take up residence. But you and I know each other well enough to know we are not a holy people. We were made holy, declared righteous. How did that happen? Through the completed work of Jesus. So part of the, of the gospel, part of the good news is that God sent his one and only son, yes, to die the death that you deserved to live the life you could never live. And that as a result of us now believing in Christ by faith alone, he has taken up residence in us. We were declared righteous, made holy, made ready for God. 
and now he lives in us. There's more. Second, God dwells in us as a church. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're a part of that. So when we gather together in the name of Jesus, he's doing many things in and among us, part of which he is building us together into a dwelling place for God. That God would dwell not in some building, but in the body of Christ. And third, God will dwell with us forever. Revelation 21.3 And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Here in John's heavenly vision of things to come, we have this stunning promise. Everything God has said from the beginning will surely come to pass. God is with us. Exodus 25, 1-9 contains these instructions for the Israelites to build God a sanctuary set aside for worship. I hope you've seen the remarkable generosity of God's people giving to the Lord. Yet something far greater is happening in this passage. God promises if they build this sanctuary for God and man, he will come and dwell in their midst. And as the book of Exodus comes to a close, we see that this tabernacle is built and the glory of God, this cloud that Moses is now in, comes down and rests upon the tabernacle built by his instruction for his glory in the midst of his people. He's living among them, which has been his design from the start, that we would be his people, that he would be our God, and he might dwell with us forever. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for these remarkable promises from your word. The wonder of your grace where you would choose to condescend and humble yourself to live among us. We thank you for your son Jesus. Because of the fact of of him coming, living a life that we could never live and dying a death that we deserved we might be able to know the benefits of Christ and you taking up residence in us, fitting us in your family as the people of God and covenanting your presence with us forever. Let joy and generosity and response fill our hearts. Let our hearts be stirred by your spirit at work in us and it worked through the reading and preaching of your word. We ask this in Christ's name.
Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org. 